Hey, um, so tonight I want to start with like a little bit of a, a small story um, that happened um, whenever I was a freshman in college. Um, how many of you guys have ever been on a blind date? Anybody? A few of you? How many of you are like, I've been, but I'm not raising my hand. It went that well. You know? <laughs> um, so my freshman year in college, um, I had a cousin who lived up in the Abilene area. She was one year younger than I was, and, like, I kind of grew up with her. And so, like, we had a lot of friends and mutual friends. And, and um, she called me for her senior prom one time. I was like, hey, you and, and your boy Ryan, y'all need to come and go to our senior prom with us. Like, we got a ton of friends. You know, everybody wants y'all to come hang out. You, you know, just come, come to prom with us. We're like, that's cool. You know, we, we actually did, well, we hung out with them quite a bit. And we had a lot of mutual friends. And so we were like, hey, that's great. And um, she's like, hey, so um, you're going to go with so-and-so who, who I knew. And then my friend uh, Ryan was going to go with this other girl, so-and-so, who we didn't know, right? So it was like a blind date prom date, right? Which in hindsight just seems absolutely like a terrible idea, right? But she's like, hey, th- this girl's awesome. You know, we, like she's friends with all of us. We hang out all the time. She's really cool. She's pretty. You're going to love her. Like we're, we're just going to all go together and have a really great time. And so my boy and I, we load up. We drive to Abilene and we meet at this house where we're going to go take pictures before prom, right? How many of you guys did that? You had parents that were like, we're totally getting pictures of you because you're all dressed up. Some of you guys, it's the only time in your life you've worn a tux, Right? And so your mom's like, yeah, I'm totally getting a picture of this, right? So we show up to this house, and like immediately, it is super noticeable that they are not getting along. Like my boy in this blind date, you know, friend of my cousin, they're not hitting it off at all. And so like the funny thing is we have these super awkward prom pictures, you know, because you know, she's in a pretty dress and he's in a tux. And so we're all like taking pictures before prom and it's like, get closer. You know, it's like, (laughs) and so they're both got this awkward lean thing going on. Like I'm not moving my feet any closer at all. I don't might, I might have to touch them. Right. And, and you look in this picture and no lie, like my, my friend has this He's smiling like somebody kicked him where the sun don't shine, right? He's like, I'm going to be nice and smile, you know? And, and dude, she's just like, she's given up at this point. She's just straight face like, take the stupid picture, you know? <laughs> like, the sooner you take this picture, the quicker I'm out, right? <clears throat> so we, we go. Prom obviously didn't go <laughs> as well as we thought it might. Um, but, you know, the truth is, if you think about that, I was thinking about this earlier. We kind of build perceptions about people in our minds based on what other people tell us about them, don't we? So like my friend and I, we went expecting to meet this this cool girl that we were going to get along with. And we were going to have a good time at prom that night. And and um, it was totally not that. <laughs> like our perceptions were totally off, right? And And the truth is I think that sometimes that happens with people about Jesus. That sometimes they're told something about Jesus. You know, it, but like maybe you get, you feel like maybe for some of you, you felt like you got invited on a blind date to church and you heard all these great things about Jesus and then you met somebody that was supposed to be like Jesus and they weren't at all and it just kind of turned you off from Jesus. And so you had all these perceptions in your mind and things just didn't add up, right? And see, I understand that 
that can happen a lot. Like we can get a bad impression of who Jesus is based on how other, other Christians have treated us or maybe what, what, what we've seen or heard from other people. Well, in this series, we've, um, we've decided to take a look at who Jesus really is. We've decided that, that there are seven statements that, that were made by Jesus about Jesus and maybe these seven statements can actually tell us who the real Jesus really is. And so as we're, as we're diving into that tonight, we're actually going to talk about him being the good shepherd. And, and we've talked about a few more recently. If you, if, you haven't, um, if you haven't been here for those, they're online. You can go to AngeloXA.com. You can look us up on, on uh, podcasts, on iTunes, AngeloXA. If you, if you go look up Chi Alpha, Angelo State, you can find us, listen to some of those. And, um, but as we're, as we're walking through these, what we know is if we're honest, we can know a lot about somebody and still not know them personally, right? Right? Like, that, that can totally be the case. But how many of you know that in your faith, it's not enough to just know about Jesus? Like, he's made the invitation for us to know him personally and intimately. It like, and so I would say it like this. We would know him with both our head and our hearts, Right? And so that's when we feel like our faith is true. So here's how I want to do this. When it comes to our faith, um, I, w- I want to show you kind of what it looks like. And I need two volunteers. I need, um, I need somebody who is like, let's say, 175 pounds plus. I need like a big dude, big strong guy, big strong. Cade, you want to do this? Come on. Okay. Now, I need a girl who is like sub 125. Like you're like small little sky come on all right come on so um now kate are you sure that you can handle this because we're gonna get like football physical for a minute is that okay so (laughs) so here's the thing um kate it's kind of a big boy right in fact just looking at you i would say you're about twice her okay like two of her could fit in you that's pretty much the case um so now, Sky, if I asked you to try really, really, really hard to knock him off of his feet right now, okay? Oh, yeah. Could you do this? Probably not, but yes. Probably not? Are you sure? You want to try? Oh, yeah. She's totally into this, bro. You, are you ready? She's fixing to take you out, dude. You better duck a shoulder or something. You ever play football? You got to get in the stance, the, the, the linebacker stance. You know what I mean? How many of y'all think Sky could take him? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's the other part of the story, okay? I said that in our faith, we have like two legs to stand on, where we know Jesus with both our head and our hearts, okay? So let's, let's turn this around a little bit. Let's, ju- let's just say maybe you only know Jesus with your head. So you only have one leg to stand on. Now, how many of you think Sky could take him out? I'm pretty sure you had the same amount of applause. They have a lot of faith in your ability. Is she like a secret ninja and I just don't know it? Is that what's going on? Okay, we got it. I'm not going to make her take you out. You guys can go back to your seats. Thank you. (laughs) She's talking smack. She's like, you better be glad. Here's the thing. When it comes to our faith, 
For your faith to be strong, for you to have a good, solid foundation in your faith, you need two legs to stand on. You need the knowledge of Jesus and the heart that's in love with Jesus, right? So let me, let me say it like this. The head knowledge is, is actually knowing who Jesus really is. The, the, the head knowledge is, is, is knowing who the real Jesus is. I'll put it like this. Jesus can't be your blind date in heaven one day. You can't have just heard about him from someone else, right? Like there has to be this, this head knowledge that is like this intimate knowledge of who he is. And so we would say you need to read your Bibles. You need to figure out who Jesus is and you need to read. There's a reason every single one of you should be reading your Bible every single day. If you don't know where to start, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start with those four. They're, they're all about Jesus, Just start with those and work from start to finish. You'll hear story after story after story about who Jesus is. It will teach you the truth about who Jesus really is. But then there's this other side that's heart knowledge. And this is like the emotional side of your faith that comes from experiences with the true Jesus. So these aren't just like feelings or emotions. Because how many of you know that feelings are fickle? Like your heart will deceive you, right? And you guys understand this, so you've all been to the movie where, like, you know, you thought somebody was really good and they turned out being super evil, okay? How many of y'all have seen Frozen? Okay? I've seen Frozen about 300 times in the last 24 hours because I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old, okay? And, and we watch this show constantly and there's Prince Hans, Right? Prince Hans is the prince that, you know, is in love with the princess and then he turns out to be totally evil and selfish, Right? Okay, some of you guys are like, no, Heath, I would never watch Frozen. Okay, for all the nerds in the room, how about Anakin Skywalker? Yeah. Right? It, he starts out the little boy that you're hoping wins the race, right? And then, and then he turns into this warlord that everybody hates, right? He turns into Darth Vader. So we know, right, that, that, our, that our feelings are fickle. Okay, like you can't just trust your feelings or your emotions, but it, but you can't just rely on head knowledge either. You've got to be able to mix these two. So your faith should be built upon a genuine love for the real Jesus. And I would say that these feelings of love come from truth about Jesus that has been confirmed in your heart through experiences with Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Truth about Jesus that has been confirmed in your own heart based on your experiences with Jesus. See, I can tell you all day long that Jesus heals, but it's different when Jesus heals your grandmother from cancer. Right? One of those is a truth. One of them matters to your heart. See, I can tell you all day long Jesus heals, but whenever I tell you the story of Andrew's healing and God healing Andrew's heart, all of a sudden... You don't just love that Jesus heals, you love the Jesus who heals, right? Because it's personal. It's, it's impacted your life. This truth, this real truth about Jesus has impacted you personally. And when that happens, you have two legs to stand on in your faith. So with that in mind, um, I want us to read through a passage of scripture where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And there's a key phrase in this passage about Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us towards abundant life. Or maybe life to the full is how your Bible will put it if you're reading like the NIV. And, and I want to talk about that tonight. Jesus' own statement about him being the good shepherd. Hey, um, Nestor, could you bring me that, uh, that drink back there, please, sir? 
So we're going to start in John 10, 10 through 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So let's take a look at this abundant life piece. How many of you would say that abundant life, spiritually speaking, probably means you're standing on both feet of your faith, right? You're feeling strong, you're feeling powerful, you're feeling like the Lord's moving. That would seem like abundant life to me. But let me take a quick poll real quick. How many of you guys have ever been on like a sports team that never won anything? Okay. I tried to play street hockey one time. And I think we won one game in like three years or something. I don't know. We were absolutely horrible, just to be honest with you. Right? So, so but nobody likes to always lose, do they? It, like, in fact, I would say that like losing is the opposite of abundant life. Right? We have any, uh, we have any, um, no. Okay, let's start there. Do we have any Cowboys fans? Okay, all right. Next question. Do we have any Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans? Okay. Let me help you explain, let me, let me explain to you why that is. So I actually did a little research earlier, and I looked up the, um, the, the worst team in the NFL, and the best team in the NFL. Here's what I found. You can actually go on Wikipedia and they record every single team's seasonal records. Okay. For the entire time that this team has existed. And if you were to compare wins versus games played. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the worst team in the NFL. They have a solid 38.7% percentage, uh, percent chance of winning. Based on wins versus losses. Based on wins versus game played. Okay. You know who the best team is? Them Cowboys. Cowboys rank number one based on wins versus total number of games played. So, you know, you might not believe it with the way our season started, but we actually do have the best overall percentage as a winning team. The truth is nobody likes to be the team that's always losing, right? Nobody wants to live their spiritual life in such a state that you're always losing. We like the idea of an abundant life. But if I were to go around the room tonight and begin asking each of you, how's life? Some of you would say, oh man, life's good. Life's going great. Some of you would turn around and say, it's okay. Life's okay. And then some of you, fighting the tears and holding back the emotion, would say, life is horrible. Like, Grandma's sick. My grades suck. My faith is terrible. Like, I'm always drained. I'm emotionally drained, spiritually drained, physically drained. Like, I just can't get it together. That doesn't sound like abundant life to me at all. And so, why is that the case? Like, the worst part of it is, is that I'll talk to some Christians over and over and over again, and it's like their life is in shambles, and that's not abundant life, but it's continually in shambles, and they don't know why. The real problem is that some people tend to live in a drained, anxious, overwhelmed state forever and ever and ever, and they never actually figure out why they're there. I would say this, you're not experiencing abundant life because you're not following the good shepherd who promises abundant life. Now, let me be clear here. Abundant life does not equal easy life, okay? 
Those two are not the same. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have a bad day. He never promised we wouldn't get annoyed. In fact, Jesus said things like, if you follow me, the world's going to hate you and you're going to have problems. And then he followed it up with this statement. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. So, abundant life obviously doesn't equal easy life. So, why not? Like, why is it that we would feel so beat down in our faith, even though we're a Christian? I would say maybe, probably, it's because you're not following Jesus as your good shepherd. And what happens? All these other things begin to bombard us. So, um, I'll put it like this. Earlier this morning, when I'm driving on the loop, and this silver car is in front of me in the left lane going way too slow, and I'm getting super annoyed, the truth is, Jesus says, no, I'm not allowed to honk my horn and yell at them. These are like guidelines that following Jesus, you know, when we follow Jesus, there are guidelines we have to obey. You know what I'm saying? And the dude who cut me off, no, you can't tell him he's number one. Okay? That's not allowed. Jesus said. Maybe not in those exact words, but Jesus said it. It's, okay, the exams that aren't going where, the homework that, that wears us down, the work and the job that wears us down, the relationships. How many of you have, like, you run into annoying people way too often? Okay. Jesus has some guidelines and he says, you don't really have a right to be annoyed at them. Think of how much grace and patience he's had with you. (sighs) Following Jesus thing is hard, isn't it? It gets tough. And things try to get in the way. So um, I want to put it like this, okay, because Jesus makes this wonderful statement. Check this out. In John 10, just before he claims to be the good shepherd, we actually read this last week. We talked about Jesus being the door to heaven, right? If you didn't hear that one, you got to go back and listen to it. Um, But in this same portion, he says this in John 10, 3 and 4. The sheep hear his voice. This is Jesus talking. The sheep hear the voice of Jesus. He calls out his own sheep, sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It works like this. In, um, in shepherding, in Jesus' day, a shepherd, um, he would be out leading a bunch of sheep, okay? And, and so for a shepherd, he might have up to 100 or 150 sheep that he is taking care of. And, and what that literally looks like is if you can imagine if there were no fences out in West Texas, but you had 150 sheep that needed to eat and drink water every single day, you would have to go out and start traveling around to find green areas for them to eat and then good water for them to drink. And so this is kind of the way it worked in Jesus' day. At night, as they were going out, they would find maybe a cave. And they would say, okay, this is a safe spot to, 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 to sleep for the night. So they would take all these 150 sheep, they would shove them off in a cave. And then we talked last week about Jesus being the door. He would literally lay down in front of that cave and be the door. Nobody gets in or out except through Jesus. 
Well, what happens is there are some other shepherds who are in the area and they need a place to stay as well. So they bring their hundred sheep into the cave too. And that shepherd lays down with the other shepherd and they all sleep together tonight. You know, and then later that night, some other shepherds come in. And before you know it, there might be three, four, five hundred sheep inside of this cave. And then the next morning, you have to get your hundred out amongst the rest of them. Now, the way the shepherds would do this is they would literally begin to call. They would just begin to to speak out whatever call they have for their sheep. And their hundred sheep would come out one by one and begin to follow the shepherd out of that cave. The others would stay. The others would stay back. They don't follow a stranger, says Jesus. But my sheep know my voice, is what Jesus says. Because I'm the good shepherd. And they begin to follow him out one by one by one until all of the sheep are out and then they go on and the shepherd leads them on from there. So when it comes to following Jesus, sometimes it gets hard to hear his voice, doesn't it? Sometimes when we're in the midst of everything else that's going on, everything else is yelling at us from the outside, it gets hard to focus in on Jesus' voice. I want to illustrate that tonight, so we're going to play a little game. Um, I've got four life groups that have, uh, that have already been talked to. Y'all, y'all come on up if you're one of my four um, life group leaders and or life group peeps that have been talked to already. We're going to play a little game, and here's what you got to know. Um, the winner of this game gets a free altitude registration tonight. So um, life group leaders, if you win this game... You can give that free altitude registration to whoever you want. Now, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> um, life group leaders, y'all come on over here real quick. Y- y'all come this way. Okay, so um, Nestor, the life group leaders actually need the, uh, the blindfolds. And so um, here's how this is going to work. Um, life group leaders, y'all are going to be blindfolded. And your job is to listen to your life group member leads you, okay, y'all pay attention to the, to the path. We're going to go up this aisle, okay, across the back. Now, where are the, uh, where are the, uh, the hymnals? Okay, we, we've got a couple guys with hymnals back there. You have to lead them to the guys with hymnals. They have to pick up a hymnal, bring it back down here to me, blindfolded, and turn to page 317. Okay, do we understand the rules? We got this? Okay, take off your glasses. Come on, let's, let's get this ball rolling here. Here we go. Okay, life group leaders, you're guiding them. You're guiding them. You, you can, yeah, you can get as close as you want to these guys. Now, here's the other part of the game. You guys must stay seated, but I bet there's a life group that you want to win. So, you may help them. You may help them. Either by trying to lead your life group leader or by yelling at the other guys and confusing them. Either one works, okay? You can do whatever you want. Get as loud and crazy as you want, but you must stay seated. We don't want an ambulance to be called, okay? You can't touch them. They just have to hear your voice, okay? All right. Okay. Life group leaders, are you ready? Crowd, are you ready? Okay, hey, on the count of three, y'all are going to go. One, two, three, go. 
Hey, um, the instructions were to go down that aisle. We, we have a very clear winner going. <laughs> Done. 317. We have a winner. You can take your blindfolds off. You can take your blindfolds off, guys. We have a winner. <clears throat> Y'all give it up for Stone Cold Cody. His life group now has a free altitude registration. Man, does this just prove that men are better than women at directions? I'm, oh, I'm totally kidding. I love you guys. <clears throat> Thank y'all so much for participating. All right, y'all can be seated. Thank you. <laughs> See, it, it's really, really simple to sit back and talk about hearing the voice of Jesus and following Jesus. But when we get in the real world, it gets a little more difficult, doesn't it? See, the truth is, <clears throat> most of us know how to follow Jesus. But we end up Listening to other voices. We end up doing other things. We end up allowing other things to, to maybe, um, we begin to pay attention to other things more than we pay attention to what God is saying to us. And Jesus says, he is the good shepherd. How many of you guys, it works like this. How many of you guys have, um, have ever seen like the National Geographic videos of like lions being hungry, right? You're like, They always start with like the plains of Africa, right? And there's like a herd of zebras or gazelles or something, you know, some funky looking goat, right? And and then there's always this pack of lions that's like herding around them, right? And why? Because they're looking for dinner, right? Like they're hungry. And so who do they always take out? The one who separates from the pack, right? The slowest one. The weakest one, the one that gets left behind, they're always the one that gets taken out. I would say it works the same way in your faith. Like we stand up here every week, we encourage you to attend a life group. Listen, we've talked to you for weeks about going to an altitude conference. I promise you, you go to to altitude, you will grow more spiritually in three days than you will in three months this semester. And we encourage you to, to, to attend a Sunday morning worship service. Your life group leaders are inter- encouraging you to, to be here on Tuesday nights, to hang out with your life groups throughout the week. And, and what happens is that we ignore all of those callings to be a part of the pack. So when I would say, what I would say is that if you find yourself ignoring the opportunities to be a part of the pack, don't be surprised when the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy comes in with a headshot and tries to take you out. Because you haven't been a part of the community. You haven't been a part of the herd that the, that the good shepherd is leading. See, according to the scriptures, God's, God's flock of sheep follow Jesus. And I would say this, if you find yourself separated from God's flock, um, you're probably not following the shepherd like everybody else is. There's something really, really special about being involved in a community of believers, like intimately involved, living life, sharing life with a community of believers. Inevitably, about this time of year, there are several people who will decide to separate themselves from the flock. And inevitably, the enemy does his best to take them out. 
It's just the way it works. See, here's what I see happens. People will come, they'll, they'll, get, they'll, they'll be a part, they'll, um, and they'll attend church, they'll attend Chi Alpha, they'll go to life group, and then somebody says something that rubs them the wrong way. So they're like, oh man, I don't want to hang out with them anymore, right? They, they get annoyed because, I don't know, maybe that Heath guy doesn't preach a very good sermon, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to go there anymore, it's not really worth my time. They, they, they begin to focus in on all these other things and they begin to kind of separate themselves. But listen, when you realize that according to the scripture, there's a, there's a thief that is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. If the thief is coming, you don't have time to sweat the small stuff, do you? Like if somebody's coming to your house tonight to steal, kill, and destroy, what are you doing? You're getting ready. Dude, I got the tennis racket. I got the mace, like everything they'll let me have in the ASU dorms, I'm arming myself with, right? Like, and you're not so concerned with the little, you don't sweat the small stuff when the thief is coming. Listen, the thief is coming, I assure you. Jesus was pretty plain when he said there's a thief that's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief would love to separate you for some small reason, to put you out there on your own so he can take you out with a kill shot. My encouragement to you would be to, would be to be a part of the community that's following Jesus. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. We've all got deadlines. We've all got expectations, right? We've all got people problems. We've all got work problems. We've all got scheduling problems, money problems. Like all of these worldly things that will do their best to keep you from living an abundant life. And if you begin to focus on them more than you focus on Jesus, I assure you, the abundant life will never be yours. They will keep you caged in a boring, unfulfilling, drained spiritual life. But think about this with me. What if we made those things secondary to seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness? What if we made all of those worldly things secondary to following Jesus, our good shepherd? Like, wouldn't it be fun to win spiritually? Wouldn't it be fun to live an abundant life and maybe leave a legacy of faith right here at ASU? Like, what if what you did for the next four years lived on long after you were gone? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you have the stories to tell about how awesome Jesus is? See, we get too busy with homework to do something that matters like in eternity. And then we wonder why our faith doesn't, like, feel abundant or exciting. For some of you, you've never considered Jesus, following Jesus, like, exciting, okay? I I would say that if you think of following Jesus as boring, you're probably not following the real Jesus as your good shepherd. I I love John Eldridge. He's written several books that are pretty awesome. Wild at Heart is one of them. Um, This quote isn't from Wild at Heart, but it's from one of his other ones. He says this. He says, we've made elevator music of Jesus. We've made him the most boring, bland, blah person you can imagine. But Jesus was the most revolutionary man to ever live. Do you realize that Jesus' revolution that was started 2,000 years ago is bigger than it's ever been? It is moving forward at a faster pace than it's ever been. Listen, his revolution is the only one I can think of that exists 2,000 years after his death. He led a revolt like none other. When you just stop and think about who Jesus is, what Jesus did. Listen, long before it was popular to fight for social justice, Jesus welcomed sinners. 
Long before it was popular to fight for equality, Jesus taught us the golden rule. Long before it was popular to be inclusive, Jesus ate with tax collectors. Long before it was popular to be philanthropic, Jesus healed lepers and touched them for the first time in their lives. Long before it was popular to be racially integrated, Jesus spoke to a woman at a well, number one, and then he preached the gospel to Samaritans who Jews hated and they got saved. If you think following Jesus is boring, you're not following the real Jesus. Because the Jesus I know is building his church in a communist China where it is illegal to be Christian at a faster rate than he is right here in America. Have you noticed on the news lately all of these Middle Eastern pastors who keep getting arrested for being Christian in nations where there used to be zero Christians? It's like God is standing up in heaven and going, please persecute my people. Please make Christianity illegal because when that happens, Christianity thrives. Jesus is growing his church in places literally where it is illegal to be Christian. Listen, I have got to celebrate recently with missionaries who are smuggling Bibles into countries where it is illegal to have a Bible. Maybe that messes with their theology a little bit. I don't know. Is it illegal to follow Jesus illegally? I don't know. You ever wondered about that? Listen, I've talked to people through whom Jesus is disbanding the underground sex slave trade in America. And they're doing it by going underground by the hundreds, infiltrating these areas and bringing hope into hopeless situations. Jesus is sending the gospel to people in closed off countries through missionaries disguised as coffee shop owners. Jesus will do whatever it takes to advance his kingdom. I assure you, following Jesus is not boring. If you thought following Jesus was boring, you don't know the real Jesus. I'll make this statement as well. I heard this preacher recently. He said this. um, He said that following Jesus was safe. I disagree. There have been more Christians killed in the last hundred years for their faith than in the last thousand years combined. Following Jesus is not safe. You don't find safety in following Jesus, but you do find security. But see, when we take all these things of the world and we push them to the side so that we can focus on Jesus, it becomes really, really easy to recognize your good shepherd's voice, your good shepherd's leading. It becomes really easy to recognize following Jesus is fun, y'all. I would challenge you tonight, maybe for some of you, you need to stop and refocus on Jesus. For some of you, you've been in this place of like everything but abundant life. (laughs) You've been really struggling. Maybe it's time to stop and quit focusing on all the other stuff, push it to the side, and begin to listen to Jesus. Check this out. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. Um, Some of you guys have heard this before. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That sounds like abundant life, doesn't it? That sounds really cool. Now, check out where he leads you next. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Wait a minute. 
the darkest valley. I thought we were just talking about green pastures and quiet waters and having my soul refreshed and now we're in some dark, scary, evil valley. Keep in mind that in this scripture, the Lord is still leading. If the Lord is my shepherd and he led me to a dark place, continue to read that the Lord is still with you. See, Even when the rider ends up in the darkest valley, the shepherd never left him. And because the shepherd is with him and leading him, there's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's comfort. Some of you guys are like, I haven't felt comfort or peace or a lack of anxiety in a very long time. But you forgot that your shepherd is right next to you. See, I believe that for every one of you, the Lord has you where he has you for a reason. And Satan would love nothing more than for you to begin to focus on anything but Jesus. But maybe tonight some of you need to stop. Bring your focus back to where it's supposed to be. Begin to listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd. See, in life, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're tough. But if we're following Jesus, there's no fear, no anxiety, even in the darkest valley. That's what following the good shepherd looks like. Maybe tonight you need to start ignoring some voices in your life. Start focusing on the voice of the good shepherd. Now, as we close, I had this this little revelation the other day. Out of the seven I am statements of Jesus that we find in the book of John that tell us about who Jesus is, there's actually another I am statement in the book of John that we won't talk about, but I'm going to give you a little insight. Because, and it lines up directly with him being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. See, at the very end of John, after Jesus has gone through his entire ministry, um, he's praying in a garden, he's got his disciples around him, and... Um, there are people that want to kill Jesus. Now, that wasn't necessarily anything new. A lot of people wanted to kill Jesus throughout his entire ministry. But on this night, it was different because when they showed up and Jesus knew what was coming, he knew that he was fixing to lay down his life for you and I. And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus makes a statement, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. And see, in this moment, literally what Jesus was doing was fulfilling the very words that he made back in John chapter 10 when he said, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. In fact, if you keep reading in that passage, he says, I'm the one that has the right to lay down my life, and then I'm the one that has the right to take it back up again. And in this moment, when they come looking for Jesus, Jesus literally says, That's me. I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. Here I am, guys. You can have me. In this moment, Jesus was turned over to the authorities. They take him, they beat him, they put him on a cross, and he dies for our forgiveness. 
Because what Jesus knows and what you need to know is that there's no way for you to get to heaven without forgiveness of sins. There's no way for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father without forgiveness of sins. And Jesus knew that you and I were not going to be good enough to accomplish this on our own. So he paid the price that was necessary. See, our good shepherd literally with his life led us towards salvation. He laid down his life for you and I. He laid down his life so that we could be at one with the Father. And for some of you tonight, you've never followed Jesus at all. And tonight that needs to change. Tonight there needs to be a decision that you make where you repent from your old life. Repent means I turn away from who I was and I begin to live for Jesus. You need to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you need to begin to follow him as your good shepherd. And here's my hope. My hope is that you have the same revelation that I had when I was 16 years old. Because the truth is, I can't tell you the day that, that, you know, I I was saved. I didn't have like one night where I raised my hand and I was like, Jesus, I'm yours kind of thing. For me, it was very much a process. But I remember one night sitting in a a little church across town and it was like some Wednesday night service. There's like five people around this dude's preaching about being a missionary to Indians. And it was the first time that I had ever realized that God had a plan for my life that was greater than my plan for my life. And it was the first time that God had ever challenged my heart to say, you need to give up your dreams and aspirations for mine. You might put it like this. It was the first time that I came face to face with the good shepherd. And the good shepherd said, Heath, I'm going this way. I'm asking you to follow me. I know what you wanted was over there, but I'm going this way. Are you coming or not? And I broke down and I gave everything up to Jesus. Because in an instant, the Lord helped me to realize that everything that I was chasing was fleeting. Everything that I was focused on was worldly. Everything that I wanted would amount to absolutely nothing. But everything Jesus was calling me to was better. Maybe not easier, but better. Some of you tonight need to make a decision. To follow the good shepherd. And it's going to mean turning away from some of the things that you've been chasing. Some of you are going to have to turn away from dreams, aspirations. Some of you are going to have to turn away from some relationships. If we're just being honest, some of you may have to turn away from a degree. Don't get me wrong. Following the good shepherd, it will cost you everything. Jesus' call was come and die and you will find new life in him. It's worth it. There's a moment right now that some of you are standing in front of a decision and Jesus is asking you to follow him. It's time. Don't let me convince you. You go where the Lord 
is calling you. You do what the Lord is asking you to do. Don't ignore the call of the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice. And when he begins to call you out, you follow. Because he's the good shepherd. Let me pray for you guys.